Hi, this is Larry H. Russell. Thank you for downloading another edition of Celtics Beat. Today's episode is being brought to you by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Casper. Casper's mattresses are premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. And to get $50 off any mattress purchase at casper.com, visit casper.com slash Celtics and enter promo code Celtics. Well, good day. Happy June. I guess if you're listening a day late or days late, as always, we're more than happy to have you listen anytime. But right now, as I am speaking, technically, it's Sunday, May 31st, 2015. I'm Larry H. Russell. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio being brought to you today by Linda and our new sponsor, Casper. Everything is heating up. The weather Warm, warm, warm week up here in Boston. I am absolutely smothered in pollen, by the way. But we're heating up with all the discussion about the offseason. A lot of talk about that. The NBA Finals. Very rarely do you get the series you asked for. We got that. Golden State. Cleveland Cavaliers. That'll be starting up soon. And now, the NBA draft a little under a month away now. So I guess it's time to get the ball rolling on that, so to speak. And... Who better to do that with than the ultimate draft whiz and great, great friend of Celtics Beat, one of our favorite guests, Jeff Goodman of ESPN. He'll stop by a little later in the show as you get a bit of a head start here with some NBA draft talk. Big offseason for the Celtics, and the draft is a major, major part of that. One thing we know is we know the major part of it, even if the Celtics use or package these picks in some manners. Kind of get the sense that they will, right? If for no other reason than, well, A, they have too many draft choices as is, don't have room on the roster for all these picks, and B, as our guest Bob Ryan said on this show last week, the Celtics have a roster pretty much from the top on down of, as his word was, nice players, pieces to the puzzle, so to speak. They now need that next level of player, someone who can accept a greater burden on the offensive or defensive, or end, or both, actually. Wouldn't that be great? And could that player be in this draft for the Celtics? A lot of people say no. Ah, they got the 16th pick. Well, as we know, there's a lot of talk that Boston will trade up. As I said just a few seconds ago, it would certainly make a lot of sense for them to do so, to trade up, and maybe move to the low teens, maybe even as high as 8 or 9. Or heck, if there's someone they really like, they could package some other pieces of collateral they have and maybe grab that Knicks pick at four or something like that that's rumored to be available. Although I like to think that is unlikely. But certainly, moving up, maybe grab a player that would fill a need like, oh geez, I don't know, Willie Cauley-Stein, the big seven-footer out of Kentucky, seven-foot shot blocker, or an athletic wing, who I personally like a lot, Stanley Johnson who Jeff Goodman himself brought up on this show back in January, or whomever. Maybe there's someone there that I didn't name, and we'll talk about those players coming up with Jeff. But a game-changer, nonetheless. There seems to be this absurd perception that the studs are only at the tippity-top of the draft, right? Only the Lakers or the Wolves will get a possible franchise-changing player, and the rest of the guys will be good to solid. Uh, to busts even, in fact, that could be more than likely, whatever. But geez, the Golden State Warriors, they're in the finals. They're the favorites here. I expect them to win it. Their franchise player, Steph Curry, league MVP, number seven overall, I believe. His backcourt mate, Clay Thompson, guy they refused to trade for Kevin Love, and everybody thought they were crazy to do so at this time last year. I believe he was number 10 overall. The guy, Bob Ryan, who brought up on this show last week, the guy who the Celtics need to find the next of, 
Kawhi Leonard, what was he, like 14? I'm not even sure he was a lottery pick. If he was, it was fringe. I remember him being picked by Indiana, but traded for George Hill. Whatever, story for another day. Uh, all right. Jimmy Butler, too. I, I should definitely bring that one up before we move on here. Let's not get into that one. So are the odds likely that the Celtics could grab a player uh, who could make those types of impact at 16? Of course not, but let's not write it off entirely. There's at least one or two franchise players after the top end of the lottery in just about every draft, particularly recently. In fact, even in the case of more recent years, you're almost about half as likely to pick a Steph Curry at 7 or a Kawhi Leonard at 14 or a Jimmy Butler at 30 as you are a Blake Griffin at number 1. Maybe it's with the one and done and how these kids don't just don't fully develop. And we said the word kids. They are still young kids. My God, most of them, they are still growing. Still at the back stages of puberty for that matter. They haven't fully reached their physical and athletic capabilities. These guys, in my opinion, because of that, they're becoming harder and harder to scout. And it's harder to figure out the draft than ever before now. Back 15, 20 years ago, all the top players were at the top of the draft. You had those surefire guys, those Ewings and Duncans and Magic Johnsons and David Robinsons, guys that would change franchises right away, and you knew they would do so. They just really don't exist anymore. They really haven't since LeBron James, for that matter. And that was, what, 12 years ago now? Those number one picks, the guy you knew who'd be great all year, teams tanked for them. They reap the benefit of their rewards if they were able, if they're fortunate enough to be in that position to select them. They're just not out there anymore. Guys like Blake Griffin are there, but Blake Griffin, the prospect, was nowhere near, not even in the same universe as those guys I mentioned. And career rise has been the case either, despite Blake being as great as he is. Kyrie Irving, same thing. People had the smallest of doubts regarding Kyrie Irving. There was even debate of whether even to pick him over Derek Williams. Small debate, but it was out there. It was the smallest of doubts. However, he was not a surefire franchise-altering lock like those guys were. And we saw that with how bad the Cavs were his first four years in the league. Nowadays, I mean, elite talent is at the top, no doubt. But as I said, a lot of those guys are still developing and, more importantly, still growing into their bodies, as I mentioned. And that's why you're seeing more and more of these franchise players slide around the draft, be it Butler, Curry, Leonard in recent years. Other guys, too. Lesser guys, not franchise guys, but very good players. I mean, Greg Monroe, he was picked at 8. There were other guys picked, you know, 11, something like that. Draymond Green, second round. I want to sort of get into this with Jeff Goodman. I'll let it out now. Me, personally, I just stated it earlier, and I'll say it again. These guys are still growing into themselves. So that year-to-year improvement that certain players may have where they go from freshmen to sophomores or sophomores to juniors, it's now happening when they're in the NBA now instead. So in essence, not even the hardiest and sharpest scout can predict that. That's why you're seeing such an emphasis teams are placing on other means to scout players as opposed to just understanding a player's capabilities on the court. Now you're seeing teams with their own neuroscientists studying a player's brain type, their mental makeup, or their own personal attributes and predicting how they'll evolve as individuals rather than putting a giant emphasis on on their overall basketball skills and then running through their interviews and some background checks to see if a player is a decent character or not when that was primary the primary source for that, say, 10 years ago. That's just not the case now. There's still so much to learn and so many variables now that were not the case 
when these players were mainly coming in a league as, you know, three or four year players, or in some case, even a five year college athlete, you know, in the instance of Larry Bird, you see in baseball and the NHL, great players are selected in like the 10 zillionth round. Mariano Rivera, he was undrafted. That's because most of these guys declare at 17, 18 years old, still so much time for an athlete to grow both physically and mentally, and so much time for someone to improve what they are good at. So you're seeing now in the NBA with all these great players being selected mid-lottery in the case of league MVP Steph Curry, or as mid-first like finals MVP Kawhi Leonard, or at the back end of a draft like a Draymond Green, Jimmy Butler, Marcus Sol is another name I can even mention. So it definitely makes the NBA draft that much more interesting for that matter and far more riveting than it ever has been particularly the lead-up, and that's why we have a guy as astute as Jeff Goodman coming on to give us that lowdown, as you need a guy like Jeff who has the connections he does, and most importantly, the knowledge that he does to really delve into this, because the draft prospects, it's a lot different than what it was, say, 20 years ago when we watched our college hoops on Saturday afternoons or Monday evenings on ESPN. we got to mention that with Jeff coming on, as he worked for the mothership. But of course, you know, followed by March Madness and seeing guys like Tim Duncan, who we were really exposed to as, as a junior and a senior. We knew he was the best player in college basketball. We watched him just continuously, and we knew who he was every week. He was always on Sports Center. Now these young players, it's a process and a time we wanted that. You know, being able to identify who can really contribute individually, and from his team standpoint, when they enter the NBA, another guy no one thought would have the pro career that he's had. We all you know, knew he'd be good. But there were quite many voices whom thought he'd be a bust, actually, for that matter. Was traded for O.J. Mayo on draft night, for goodness sake. Yes, talked heavily about him on last week's show, and we got to continue the discussion because it definitely has relevance. Kevin Love. Sure enough, we run the show on Sundays, and last Sunday, May 24th, I said on the show that the Celtics have a 33% chance of Kevin Love. I stand by that, by the way. I think it was that very Sunday, maybe a day beforehand, Brian Windhorst and Zach Lowe both agreed on their podcast on ESPN.com as they sourced unnamed sources that said that Kevin Love is out of Cleveland. And of course, if he does hit the market, let's not make a mistake about it. It is a two-horse race between the Lakers and the Celtics, and the Lakers and the Celtics only. Now, a lot of people can easily connect the dots and draw conclusions that Love will sign with the Lakers if given the choice, and I can see that making sense. Me personally, said on last week's show, I mean, unless the guy absolutely hates Cleveland with a passion, has no interest in sorting things out with LeBron, then he's out of Cleveland. But I still think there's a chance there he can have a change of heart, a significant chance for that matter. I mean, playing with LeBron is a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You just saw LeBron carry a batter-down team to the NBA Finals, and he did so fairly easily. They only lost two games in the Eastern Conference playoffs all, all year. He's on a team right now that is right there. That is Kevin Love. I doubt they'll take down Golden State in this series, but going forward, it's hard not to see how LeBron isn't going to win in title or titles in Cleveland. He's got this team in position that's all banged up as they breeze through the East, Can't see how in future years, or at least the near future, it'd be different. So that's why I still think Love may take a deep breath in that situation and say, geez, you know, do I really want to give this up? But I don't know. Maybe the guy was driven to the brink of insanity this year and just won't give it another go. Hey, who hasn't been in that situation at least once in their work life where you just say, I I just can't do it anymore? Maybe Maybe it is that bad with Love in Cleveland. We just don't know. Like I said, I still think there's a chance, but... You know, if possible, 
And if that's the case, well, then the Celtics are right there for his services. Obviously, it certainly does not help that Southern California is where Kevin Love spent many years of his life. And, of course, now the Lakers possessing the number two overall pick in the lottery. Have room for another max-level player, possibly next year when some bigger names reach the market. Julius Randle, who had a good preseason last year, returning from injury. Just one more year until they are finally rid of Kobe and his gargantuan salary for essentially an ineffective player, be it Kobe Bryant. A little more of an attractive of a destination L.A. was at this time, say, two to three weeks ago, that's for sure. So right now on this very day, the final day here in May of 2015, yes, Los Angeles is sitting pretty in the early stages of what we expect to be. Yes, once again, the Kevin Love sweepstakes. Here we go again. Could be a major, major free agent signing for one of these great franchises. Although one thing to watch for is a sign-in trade, which would allow Love to make some more money if I am correct. And that's feasible for Cleveland to do. And in that case, maybe L.A. has to part with their pick or Randall. And the Celtics, you know, would have to send away some of their treasure troves of draft choices. But Lakers and Celtics battled so many years on the court in June. Unlike the Yankees and Red Sox, almost all their battles have been on the court. Rarely has there been a chase for a player. I guess there was so with Garnett back then. But it's not as frequently as you see with the Sox and Yankees and their infamous arm races for the likes of Alex Rodriguez all the way down to, you know, Jose Contreras of the world. But it's interesting and very interesting to compare the situations, too, between the Lakers and Celtics. Who's a more attractive situation to players? Who's in a better position in their rebuilding going forward? That's a good debate to have. It gives me an idea for a a show coming up, that's for sure. And I may save it for another show. may have to get one of the Laker guys on here. One that can actually bring up some sane points of argument rather than appeasing to a crowd like they're a WWE wrestler. We have to really get into this. Off you, Lakers off you, the max I'm they listening. can offer, right? Like the, the biggest, the, what is that, 80 million or whatever over the next uh, four years? Whatever that turns out to be. He acting like he don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you do. My job is to shoot at a basket. That's right. <laughs> and you take it, you come and play in LA. Lakers says, you want Jimmy Butler? Where am I nation He wants to win. We got the number two pick in the draft coming, Julius Randle and Jimmy Butler, am I right? I just heard Jimmy say, no, I want to win. So I'm going to stay in Chicago. Well, then, oh, then, then that rules Jimmy. out the Clippers. Yeah, exactly. Love the cheering girl there. The act, that, that, That's the host of the show. I mean, as shameful as it is, is, the plant, the media today, as much of full of hot air as they are doing their jobs or making valid points in the case of opinionated discussion. Whatever. Thankfully... There's that on this show. Credible and intellectual people are entitled to get their facts and opinions across to the audience. And when it comes to the NBA draft, no one better than Jeff Goodman. He of ESPN coming up on the other side of the break. Are you looking to lose weight, burn fat, pack on muscle, Or just live a healthier life by sleeping better and worrying less? Well, aren't we all? Unfortunately, we've spent years quibbling over phony studies, fad diets, and dangerous prescription drugs that have prevented us from living our lives to the fullest and have done more harm than good. But thankfully, science has prevailed, and we now know that there is no other way in achieving optimal health than by consuming what nature has to offer us in its purest form possible. 
Hi, I'm Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and critically acclaimed author of Fall of the Boston Celtics. And let me tell you about Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals. Dr. Ron's supplements are 100% additive free. They contain no magnesium stearate or other flowing agents, binders, lubricants, coatings, fillers, GMOs, or other added ingredients of any kind. And best of all, they work. Dr. Ron's supplements are my personal go-to for anything from post-workout recovery to achieve optimal gains, all the way to stress management, as they have one of the widest varieties to choose from anywhere. So if you're not getting the results you want from maddening forms of dieting and dealing with adverse side effects from other harmful drugs, remember one thing. As Hippocrates said, the natural way is the only way. Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And let Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals be the remedy for you. Available only at www.drrons.com. Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and founder of CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by lynda.com. lynda.com is the home of expert video tutorials. Because you're such a loyal listener of CLNS Radio, and it's 2015, you want to kick the new year off in style, claim your free trial today from CLNS by going to lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash C-L-N-S. Okay, so let's get to our interview with the one and only Jeff Goodman, basketball insider and draft expert of ESPN and ESPN.com. Our interview with Jeff is brought to you, as always, by DraftKings, where two months into the baseball season, And while the Boston Red Sox may continue to be a band of losers, that does not mean you have to be too. In fact, at DraftKings, you can win big and win big every single day. DraftKings.com is the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments. You pick Joe Kelly, no problem. At DraftKings, it's like a brand new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to an enormous payday. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code NEWENGLAND to play for free. You can win part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code NEWENGLAND for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Okay, Jeff. So last time we had you on, the Celtics were out west. They were get, We were getting ready to talk about how who they'd pick in the, with their lottery pick, and their stake was getting ready to be driven into their season. And I guess we jinxed them in the way. A complete opposite happened. They had some big wins out there, came back and went on the run they did at the end of the season. Lottery pick, schmottery pick, as of now, they're sitting at 16 with their own, have others as well. They have a Clippers first, Sixers second at 33 overall, another second as well. Uh, what's going to happen now here as we talk in the next 20 minutes? Is Ainge, we're going to talk about draft, and then Ainge is going to turn around and trade these for the next five years, and that's all going to be for not. You know, you never know with Danny what he's going to do here, but um, they're not in the spot we thought they'd be in. Certainly, when they uh, when they traded Rondo, we thought they'd probably go the other direction. Uh, but as I've said for a long time now, uh, Rajon Rondo is uh, one of the more overrated players out there. I think that's uh, been proven now. And uh, they trade him, and they start winning. 
and uh, you know, 16 uh, and a late first rounder for for the Doc Rivers trade, uh, early second rounder. You've got potential four first rounders a year from now. Danny has got a lot of chips. He's got some contracts that uh, are movable as well on the team, and I think everybody's movable in terms of. Uh, there's nobody on this team that, that, that's untradeable for certain. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, you know, at this point. Uh, does he package maybe another first-rounder for next year and, and try to add something, whether it's a player, uh, whether it's to move up, if there's a guy on the board that he really likes? There's not a ton of disparity, um, you know, after the top. Uh, I think there's four top four or five guys, if you include Porzingis, talented seven-footer. Uh, who's played in Spain this past year. Uh, and then you add in the two bigs, of course, Okafor and Towns, and the two point guards, D'Angelo Russell and, and Emmanuel Moutier. After those top five, there, there's there's a little bit of separation and then not a lot of disparity between all those guys. Yeah, it was so very, it'll be interesting to see. Sorry to interrupt you there, but it was very interesting. I remember actually, I think Angel's on one of the radio stations, I believe it was 98.5 FM, the Sports Hub, when he even called this draft overrated, and I'm sitting here actually as a fan going, Jesus, Danny, you got four picks in this draft. You're supposed to rave about it. Like, oh, it's so deep. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What do you think of the possibility that the Celtics do move up? Because I almost argue that, in a way, they probably almost have to move up because they have so many of these draft choices. They really don't have room on the roster form. They have deficiencies on the roster. What are the possibilities they do move up, and who could they possibly move up for? Well, that, no, there's absolutely, you know, you, you don't want to load up with too many young guys on this team. They're already young, and I was talking to Brad Stevens about that in, in Chicago for the combine, and he even you know, said, hey, listen, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we, you know, we can't keep adding all these young guys. I mean, you just can't, numbers-wise. Uh, you can't do it. So I, I don't know if it's going to be this year. I, I would think they end up adding maybe two uh, you know, two guys in, in trading, whether it's for a future uh, or, or whatnot, but um, they can't keep doing it. I mean, you just can't keep doing it. So I, I think Ainge has got to get all these chips that he can try to play around with. And ultimately, you'd like to get a little bit more of an established player if you can uh, that's going to help you win now because now the expectations have, have been raised with, with the fact of making the playoffs this past year. Yeah, obviously that is pretty much the primary goal of is to get an established player. But in terms of the trade market, it looks like that guy really isn't out there, comma, yet. Maybe there could be a sign-in trade. We obviously know who the big name would be via sign-in trade. But let's still sort of stick about this draft. I had Bob Ryan on the show last week, and I think he made an assessment of the roster that we can pretty much all agree with when he said the roster pretty much from top on down are is a team of nice, you know, four to seven guys. I mean, pretty much everyone on this yeah. roster is a great four to seven player. And the odds are, now granted, franchise players now have fallen in the draft. That's something I want to talk about a little later on. Odds are, even if you hit on these picks at 16, uh, 27, I believe the Clippers, even 33 with the, with the Sixers, that's pretty much going to continue that trend. Do you believe this? there are some top you know players you know, in this draft that are obtainable if they do move up? I know you mentioned Stanley Johnson on the show back in January. Could he be a possibility if the Celtics probably try to move up to, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10 in, in, in that range? Yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, I think there's going to be some guys there. You know, how much do you like the kid Hazonia, you know, from Spain who's so talented, uh, a wing with size, an athletic wing who can also shoot the ball? Like, if you're saying what do the Celtics need more than anything else, 
the kid who's owned you probably fits. Because, again, he's athletic. They need a big athletic wing um, who can also shoot the ball. That's what this kid is. He's got a buyout, but uh, most people think that that's not going to be an issue and he'll be playing over here next year. You know, he could go as high as, shoot, seven. Uh, but if you're the Celtics, can you package? Maybe he slides to 10, 11, 12, uh, and you have a guy like him or Sam Decker or Stanley Johnson on the board. You know, Stanley Johnson's big, strong, physical wing He's not the most athletic. He's still got a little bit of ways to go, but physically he can come in and, you know, and hang in terms of, uh, you know, he's a man already. Uh, Decker is every bit of 6'9". He's long. He's athletic. Uh, he's a streaky shooter, but I think that's the area where everybody feels like he can get better and most guys can get better in the league. So, you know, I, I think you might have to move up a bit to get an athletic three-man that you want. I think there's going to be four men on the board for you at 16. Uh, decent format, but that's the last thing the Celtics need right now on this roster. Yeah, you mentioned obviously about the deficiencies on this team. There's no question. They definitely need more outside shooting. Who knows if James Young can provide it, even if that does come from role player types. But obviously a wing scorer that can maybe take over a game and you know put anywhere between 18 to 22 points on the board, if it's not next year, obviously in the near future. Obviously, the other you know clear deficiency on this team. I hate using the term because we we now know that it's just flagrantly overused, like many other terms are in sports. Rim protector. I sort of stick with the old thing: interior defense. And you yep. know where I'm going with that. Willie Cauley Stein. Most mocks have him as a fringe top ten player right now. I mean, won't his stocks only go up when these workouts begin? Earlier this week, Phil Jackson was quoted discussing the emphasis of a defensive big man, and he clearly seemed to imply Willie Cauley-Stein, even though he didn't mention his name. Uh, is he really going to be a guy that's going to be around there at the you know back end of the lottery, or is he going to be someone who shoots up the board here? Well, I don't know if he's going to shoot up the board. I think he is what he is, where, where he's going to go somewhere in that maybe uh, 6 to you know 10 or 12 range. Uh, so I don't think he's there for the Celtics at 16, but I don't think he goes to Phil Jackson at the Knicks uh, all the way up at number four either. So, um, you know, somewhere in between, you know, he, he's great defensively. Uh, the knocks on him, obviously, he can't really score. He's got no low post game, hasn't really gotten any better in that regard. Um, you know, he, he's still a little bit of a quirky guy who people question a little bit whether he loves and is going to put everything into basketball. Um, those are the question marks with Willie Collins-Stein, but what you know you're going to get is a big-time defensive presence uh, a la Tyson Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, somebody like that. Yeah, I remember when we actually discussed him on the show back in January. I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong here. I don't have the, you know a good of memory, but I, I seem to remember you not being as high on him as, say, many others are, and you mentioned sort of his quirks, and one of them obviously being his dedication to the game of basketball. Obviously, that's something the Celtics have clearly put an emphasis on with Marcus Smart, and there's other guys you know, in this draft, like Stanley Johnson, who are apparently obsessed yeah. workers. Uh, where, did anything from you know January up until now sort of change your opinion on Willie Cauley-Stein, or, I mean, you, would you like to further emphasize on that? Yeah, no, he, he's gotten better. I mean, listen, he played consistent this season where back when we talked in January, it, it was still fairly early in the process for him to kind of show that he could sustain it. Uh, he did, and I think, you know what, to be honest, like he's somebody, again, for the right team, he, he's perfect. But you got to have the right team. Like, again, you better have some offensive guys. Like I always said, Rondo was perfect for a team with KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. Right? I mean, like, he didn't need to shoot the ball. He didn't need to score. But on most teams, 
you can't play four on five. You know, and, and that's what Rondo is now. People don't guard him. Uh, you better have a lot of weapons around you, and I think that's the case even with a center, which is different. But even like a center like Willie Collins-Stein, you better have some dudes around him that can really score the ball. I want to shift a little bit to something here. Let's say Boston does hold on to these picks, which, I mean, I just do not think that they will. Who are the Not poss- all three. Yeah, but who are the possibilities with that Clippers pick as well as even that Sixers pick, which in essence is actually a borderline first rounder in itself? You know, it's hard to say just because it's it, we don't know who's going to be on the board. Like, what do the Celtics do, you know, at 16? Let's say they keep two of the three. Okay, so at 16, let's say they do go with a, a, a wing and, and they go with a Sam Decker, uh, 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 you know, somebody, Rondé Hollis Jefferson is another guy that I think uh, is very intriguing because he's, he's really athletic, really tough, great defensively, uh, not a great shooter, you know, and again, they need a wing who can shoot, but, but at that point, when you're talking about a bunch of four men, uh, and, again, you don't really need a guard unless it's a guard shooter. Devin Booker could be there at 16, one of the better shooters in the draft. I think he'll probably go a little bit higher. Uh, Kentucky, freshman, have shot the heck out of the ball the first half of the season and then struggled a little bit the second half. You know, they could use, obviously, a, a knockdown shooter with some size. Um, so I think if they, if they go that route of more need, a little bit with that first pick, I think at 28 or 33, you just take the best player available. You know, you just take whoever slipped that you think has a chance to stick in the league. And, you know, maybe I, I could see Danny Ainge going with a guy named Robert Upshot, okay, who's um, as good defensively as almost anybody in the country, including Willie Cauley-Stein. But there are a lot of off-the-court issues. Uh, he was in rehab for 60 days uh, recently. He's had some alcohol, drug issues, but – uh, a dominant, dominant defensive presence. Uh, seven foot, started his career at Fresno State, got bounced from there, uh, went to Washington. The Huskies were a top 15 team while he was eligible this year, uh, and then he got kicked off the team, and they just completely tanked and didn't make the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, Robert Epshaw is a guy that I think if he's there at 28 from the Celtics, Saying the heck with it. You know what? And Danny Ainge has done that plenty of times. Listen, he's taking risks, we know, on character. So will he take a risk on Robert Upshaw and all the baggage around him saying, you know what, if he, if he wasn't this type of kid, he'd be a lottery pick, which is, which is accurate. Yeah, and when he has all these draft choices, too, he is probably more inclined to, you know, take a risk like that because if it does wash out, I mean, obviously right. like the worst does come to happen with Robert Upshaw, and many Celtics fans are familiar with him. You say, yeah, well, you know, what the heck, you know, we did have, you know, two other picks. Take around. a shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah roll right. the dice. Yeah, and that, that's obviously, you know, the, a good position to be in when you have that sort of flexibility. I think also, am I wrong here, but I know Danny Ainge really hasn't done this. Uh how about the possibility maybe of, you know, picking an overseas player and then just stashing them over there with, you know, one of these later picks? Are, are any of those types of players available? Yeah, I mean, there will be. Certainly in the second round, that's kind of the, the, the thing to do these days, is take, especially when you've got a bunch of picks. You know, look at what happened with Miritich with Chicago. You know, uh, Gar Foreman and Paxson draft Miritich. They wait a couple of years, and, and look at him now. I mean, he, he's, he's a terrific young player. Um and he's got some experience now, so he's not quite as green as some of the other guys that come over here as, as, as rookies. So I, I think absolutely that's, that's something that they could do in the second round. 
Before I sort of sift subjects here and talk more generally about the draft as we move away from the Celtics, uh, pretty bland and open question, but I'm going to ask you sort of point blank, what do you think is most likely to happen for the Celtics with all these picks? Uh, I would say they stick at 16, end up taking a guy that, again, will help them. Taking a rolling the dice on you know somebody that falls that's maybe a you know a three man or a shooter fits more of a need, and then I think they trade one of twenty eight or thirty three, um, and they could use one of those two to move up from sixteen, or you know Ainge could certainly try to try to take on somebody else you know try to make a trade here, get a little bit older, get a guy that can help them you know I think they know in free agency it's going to be tough you're not going to land a big fish here. You're not. You're not getting one of the elite players, I don't think. I mean, could it happen? Sure. The odds aren't aren't high at this point because there's other franchises that have money as well uh, that are going to go after the same players. And I think a lot of these players, whether they're restricted or, or unrestricted, are going to end up signing with the, their original teams here. You know, Draymond Green is going to get maxed out. Kawhi Leonard's not going anywhere. We know that. Um LaMarcus Aldridge, I don't see coming to the Celtics. Kevin Love, I've said this before. I said it last year. I don't see him ever ending up in a Celtics uniform. Could it happen? Maybe. Again, I think Kevin Love is far more apt to either stay in Cleveland or go west. Yeah, I do think, though, that they will. I mean, obviously, we're shifting the discussion here, and I do want to get back to the draft, but you obviously sort of laid it out there to offer my opinion. I do think that Boston is going to be aggressive using that money this summer, and I actually think they will almost because they have to, even if it does require them to overpay for a player, be it like a Chris Middleton or Wes Matthews, who I know Jack and McMullen mentioned, because next year every team's going to have money. So if yep, you don't use that right. money this summer, even if it is slightly overpaying for guys like Chris Middleton, who, God forbid, may even get a max contract. Uh, oh, I mean, come on. Chris Middleton gets a max contract. Gonna like, oh, my oh, goodness. It's going to be like, 13 million a year though at least 12 am i right Uh, it's crazy if that happens i mean absolutely nuts if that happens but yeah i mean listen who knows like you said the salary structure is going to change dramatically uh that's why you're going to see guys getting maxed out that probably um you didn't think would coming into the season and uh and there'll be bargains at the end of the day because next season uh next off season it's going to completely change and, and the money's going to go up significantly so uh you're probably right spend the money now but you got to spend it still the right way like you know i don't want to give chris middleton 13 million dollars you know and, and he's a rotation guy for a for a playoff team ultimately that's what I think Chris Middleton at the end of the day for a good team, good playoff team. Like, yeah, he could start for you for the Milwaukee Bucks that are struggling, you know, get in, or he could play minutes for the Celtics today. But does that mean he's a guy that you want to still, you know, handcuff yourself with $13 million a year or something insane that's going to prohibit you from being able to get somebody better down the road? Yeah, but like I said, that's what, that's the issue. That's the double-edged sword because, like you know, all these teams are going to be having money, you know, and, and it's going to be tougher to compete with them in 2016-17. And Middleton does become an asset in his own right, not a huge asset when he's making you know 12 to 15 million dollars a year, God forbid. But it's almost like baseball back like 15 years ago. Remember when like Mike Hampton was getting 120 million dollar contracts? Yeah. You know, we were like, oh my yeah. goodness, what's going on? And obviously there was a severe market correction on itself. I think the NBA sort of is in that little position now because whenever there is you know these huge 
uh, you know, stimulus plans, if you want to use a government analogy. That's sort of what it is now. It does take a while for these owners and even these players to adjust, and I think that's what's going to happen now. And, you know, hopefully from the Celtics' standpoint, obviously they can adjust to it well enough. But I sort of stand by what I said. I think they almost have to spend the money this summer, even if it is overpaying for a mid-level player, because it's just going to be that much harder to compete, you know, next year and even the year after that when pretty much 90% of the league is going to have that kind of salary space. Yeah, you just don't want to add more mediocrity. That's my take is you don't want to keep adding more mediocrity. Like, like I know what you're saying, uh, and maybe you can eventually Ainge can trade some of these kind of uh, decent players, uh, and that's you know, and, sort of and get something more for them. That's yeah, I mean, that's what gives you another piece. I mean, it's the it does. it's better than nothing. That's sort of what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? I know, I know. I, I hear you on that. Um, and then I, I go back and forth with the fact of like, I hear you, but I also feel uh, as though you want to you save some of that money and be able to use it for your players if they do develop or, or to make a trade um, rather than just throwing the money out there for somebody that's just okay. Or obviously for that white guy forward, which I do think is a possibility. But if we go there, that's going to be something for a whole other day. I know you don't. Well, let's get back to the draft here and talk sort of more yep. generally about it. Uh, you know, you, you're around these players so much. I mean, you almost grow up with them. And obviously when the private workouts begin, we obviously have the, you know, who rises, who falls. It happens all the time. Who do you think is a guy or guys for that matter who can impress, you know, in terms of a one-on-one ability and really shoot up the draft board and who in that turn could fall for that matter? You know, I think, I think a guy like Sam Decker, it's usually people that people, the guys don't think shoot the ball very well. Those are the ones ultimately because they're going to have good shooting days and Sam Decker has shown it uh, over the course of his career that he can make shots it's just a matter of like being consistent. I think he'll have those days where he'll really make shots. Um, you know, I think Trey Lyles, another one, really, really talented kid. Again, more of a four man, uh, not really what the Celtics need. Ultimately, uh, Kelly Oubre. There's a guy too, that we haven't mentioned that if Kelly Oubre is there for the Celtics at 16, which I don't think he will be uh long athletic three man, like they're just there are a few of them, and like who are you you know again who are you targeting and if Angel loves one of them, uh, can he trade up a couple spots and get a Kelly Oubre, get a Sam Decker, uh, and not take the chance that one of them falls to sixteen, but kind of make sure if he's there at twelve or thirteen, you know can he move up uh, a few spots and give up maybe the twenty eighth pick or the thirty you know probably have to give up the twenty eighth. But in some in some respects, the thirty third is more valuable because you're not guaranteeing as much money. Yeah, that's sort of a, a discussion point that I have brought up. But I mean, you're right, totally about these workouts. Obviously, it's the last day of May here, Sunday, May thirty first, and a ton is going to happen between now and the draft, which is I think a little over three weeks away. But now I'm actually going to put you on the spot right here. Obviously, we all know a lot can change with many players in terms of going up and down the draft board. You know, you have guys that will fall to the 20s. Obviously, remember Rashard Lewis falling into the second round that one year. But I'll put you on the spot. Here we are, last day of May. Who's going first overall to Minnesota? I mean, I've said for the last couple months, I think I was probably the first one to put Carl Anthony Towns at number one. Uh, and pretty much everybody's followed suit at this point. I, I think it will be Carl Anthony Towns over Okafor. Um he's better defensively. Uh, he's long. 
uh, a little more athletic uh, skill. People don't realize what he can do shooting the ball away from the, the bat. You know, he could shoot the ball from three. Just didn't do it because they didn't need him to do it um, at Kentucky. So I, I think, to me, Towns is more upside. That's what they like in the NBA. Uh, and then you also add into the equation uh, that he fits better, I think, with Minnesota's current roster. Are any of those guys, be it Towns and Okafor, are these guys franchise game changers? I know we had this discussion in January, but has anything changed since then regarding those two? You know, I don't know if they're franchise game changers, but they're they're probably great number two guys, ultimately, at the end of the day on a team. I don't know if you're going to say, like, all right, these guys are going to be Tim Duncan. Okay, I'm, I'm not ready to say that. But I, I think, you know, could these guys be Marcus Ole? You know, uh, yeah, I think they could be at that level. And Marcus Ole is maybe not a, you know, a first-team NBA guy, but he's pretty darn close now. And, and LaMarcus Aldridge, they could be like that type. Not elite, elite, but, uh, but the next tier. I think both of them have the ability to turn into that. Yeah, it's very interesting, too, when we have that, you know, kind of talk about these players coming into the NBA. And even last year we were talking about the draft, be it Wiggins and Parker, And you said sort of the same thing in that, you know, they can be great number two guys. It is, and we talked about this in January, how you're seeing less and less of these Magic Johnsons and David Robinson and Tim Duncan types that we knew were going to be great and we knew were going to change franchises. We really have not seen that since LeBron. I mentioned this earlier in the show. And now, actually, recently, you're seeing more and more franchise guys be picked later in the draft when the old dogma was, oh, you have to have a top five pick. Granted, it's unlikely, but here you see Steph Curry go seven. He wins the MVP this year. Kawhi Leonard is a finals MVP. He was picked like 14. Jimmy Butler was barely a first rounder. Why do you think that is? Well, it's it's evaluating. It's it's kids getting better. Um, And I, I just think the league isn't as powerful. So... Some of these guys, uh, you know, coming in, you know, I just don't think the league's quite as good as it was five, ten years ago. So I don't think there's as many superstars. Um, A lot of them are going by the wayside now. A lot of the older guys are going out. So somebody's got to step forward and take their place. And it's not an exact science of the draft. And a lot of it is fit as well. I mean, look, put Draymond Green on another team. And he might be a seventh man. But on Golden State, he's perfect when you put him with Curry and Klay Thompson. Um, he's a terrific player. Don't get me wrong. I love Draymond. But, but again, you put him on another team, who knows? You know, who knows if he's even anything more than a rotation guy. So it's, it's, it's you know, where you're at. Are you going to be a worker? Um, are you going to get better like Jimmy Butler has? I mean, Jimmy Butler is a great example of somebody that just tough as nails, uh, a lot of people did not think he'd be this good. Uh, his shot has gotten better. Again, that's that's what I always kind of point to. Um, you know, the, the the guy's shots can really get better. And uh, you know, again, it's it's evaluating. It's it's looking at some of these GMs and who's out there. Who's out there really watching these kids? Because a lot of GMs uh, like Phil Jackson aren't really out there that much, and it makes it more difficult when you're going to put more emphasis on a, on a team workout when a guy comes in uh, rather than, you know, watching him over and over and over with the course of their team and maybe saying, hey, listen, they can do more. 
they can do more than, than the coach is allowing them to do. I think some people feel that way about Sam Decker in Wisconsin. Yeah, obviously, too, me and you are going to agree on the second point I bring up. Obviously, with the one and done, I mean, a lot of these guys are still like growing into their bodies. I mentioned this in the opening yeah. monologue, but they can still have huge year-to-year improvements that they're having in the NBA, whereas opposed to they have in college. And then, obviously, you know, they grow up and they mature mentally. And, you know, you mentioned a guy like Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard. If they're not in winning situations or environments where, I mean, you know, playing under great coaches – in Greg Popovich and Tom Thibodeau, instead maybe we're in, say, you know, well, I'll just use poor Sacramento as an example, or Minnesota. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, they learned a lot in those situations where they, you know, certainly could have learned that in college, and that's clearly where that one and done is hurting it, as opposed to, you know, back in the day when you talked about scouting. Scouting is now harder than it ever was. I mean, remember back in the day, these guys were on television for three years in a row, four years yep. in a row. Yep. And now, I mean, you, 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 they're playing like 10 to 20 minutes a game as freshmen, some of them. And, I mean, that leads into its own, you know, quagmire. Yep. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's, listen, it's changed dramatically. Um, there aren't many secrets anymore. Um, everybody, you know, you can see everybody on tape. The only secrets really are the international guys. They're not complete secrets, but – um, they still have a lot less, you know, guys don't have as much on them as they do on, on the American guys. Yeah, it's almost too sort of like my own little personal complaint about college basketball, like sort of how a lot of people complained about the NBA around 99, 2000, and that post-Jordan, post-Bird, you know, era. Yeah. And we were just spoiled by those great players and great teams. I sort of feel that way now about college basketball, where you can't really develop these great teams anymore that we can get attached to at the college ranks the same way we do with the pros. Like I think back to that was Reggie Bush and Matt Liner teams at USC for football. You just don't have that anymore in college. and. You know, that's just fans. The fans, the fans hurt. Yep. We as entertainers hurt. But yeah, no question. Jeff Goodman, ESPN. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Goodman ESPN. Jeff, thanks once again for offering us your free time. And look forward to having you again back here on Celtics Beat. You got it, Larry. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. We appreciate you stopping by, Jeff. Great chat with Jeff. And right off the bat, let's get into our reached question of the day www.reachedapp.com slash CLNS or facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Our reached question of the day is being brought to you by Casper. Casper's Mattresses is an obsessively engineered mattress using two technologies, latex and memory foam, which come together for better nights and brighter days. It's a comfortable mattress that has just the right sink and bounce. A Casper mattress provides long-lasting comfort and support, and you can buy it easily online and completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns with a 100-day period so you don't have to lie down in a showroom. Get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king-size mattress, and you can save an additional $50 as one of our audience members by going to casper.com slash Celtics and entering the promo code Celtics. So here goes it. Reach question of the day. We'll make it nice and bland and simple and creative for you. What should the Boston Celtics do with their four draft selections? Should they A, stay where they are, B, trade up for Willie Cauley-Stein, C, trade up for Stanley Johnson or some sort of athletic wing, D, package them for a veteran? Once again, can answer on reachedapp.com slash CLNS. That's R-E-A-C-H-T-A-P-P dot com slash CLNS. Or get it off our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics. Notice how... I never even bothered to put trade down to accumulate more draft picks as an option. Great little tidbit dropped by Jeff Goodman there. 
regarding a chat he had with Coach Brad Stevens of the Celtics that they Celts almost have too many young guys. I know we know that to be the case, but here we have Jeff Goodman of ESPN, one of the most connected and respected men in the biz. Come on, Celtics beat, and tell the tens of thousands of people who listen to the show that not only would that make sense aesthetically, it just doesn't make sense numbers-wise either. As I said earlier in the show, the roster is just too congested as is. Isn't as bad as it was, say, at this time last year or this time even back in January, but it's still a roster primarily made up of players who very few can be differentiated from everyone else. That can be a good thing, but it's not a great thing. And speaking of great, that's just obviously what the Celtics need, great players for that matter. So in that aspect, it just makes too much sense to move up and to try to get some real impact guys for the obvious reasons. And of course, math-wise, to help manage the numbers game here and make that a bit easier anyways. It's worth that chance and having this flexibility with the salary space and with the draft picks allows Ainge to take some gambles. You heard Jeff talk about Robert Upshaw, a name many Celtics fans have thrown around in online communities and for good reason. He is an immense talent and an immense individual for that matter, but he would be a gamble. He would be a risk, a roll of the dice. Not some sort of colossal gamble, but a necessary one at that because say you pick him with the Clippers pick if that opportunity presents itself. Hey, you got so many chances pending you keep these picks. You come right back at it with the 33rd overall pick. If it is a flame out, it is no big deal. And if it works out, you made a big score. There's no doubt. Back to seeing what we want to see the Celtics do. And yes, we are a month away from the draft. We're just inside a month here. Me personally, I am a Stanley Johnson guy. In fact, it was Jeff Goodman himself who talked me into him back when we had him on this show six months ago now. You can check that interview out and that show out in our archives by searching for Celtics Beat on iTunes or Stitcher. And I will post the show to our Twitter, at Celtics underscore Beat. Yes, as Jeff brought up, he is not the best shooter. And we know that's something the Celtics need from their guards, from their wings, even from their bigs. All teams need it. It's a fundamental aspect of the game of basketball. And even after 60, 70 years, it has taken on a greater emphasis. But listen, Stanley Johnson, like Marcus Smart, is a worker. Like Avery Bradley, he's a worker. And unlike Rajon Rondo or Antoine Walker, for that matter, if we want to use historical examples, particularly guys that work hard, who have an obsessive mindset to get better generally develop outside games in their repertoires as their career goes along. Look at Avery Bradley. You heard Jeff Goodman talk about Jimmy Butler in that regard. I think it's more than feasible a guy who was as competitive and as dedicated to the game of basketball as Stanley Johnson has so far demonstrated that he is. I think it's highly likely he could develop a sufficient outside game. And to be frank, those are the types of players who me personally, who I want as Celtics and the types of players who have historically succeeded with these franchises and a franchise like the Celtics. The Celts have always been the team that has outworked their opponents, just wanting it more than the other team, the other players. You hope Stanley Johnson would fit that mold, and he'd certainly do so on this team with other highly competitive people like Bradley Smart and Isaiah Thomas. And unlike Rajon Wando or Antoine Walker, who never took the offseason seriously enough to develop the deficiencies in their games to the point where it eventually exposed them. And plus, Johnson's attributes that he has now, first off, his athleticism is a plus. That's something the Celtics, I believe, do need to add. And defensively, this is a group that wants to pride itself there. Johnson is as tough as nails on the defensive end. That would fit well here. 
You talk about a rim protector, I say interior defense, whatever. Well, until then, feel free to shore up the outside too. You can protect the rim by not letting players get to the rim in the first place. And already with Crowder, who we assume the Celtics will resign, they have one solid wing defensive player and guys like Bradley and Smart in the backcourt. One could really shore up their perimeter defense by selecting Johnson. But of course, we will know it does not come cheap. Boston is at 16. You'd like to think the Arizona product will be selected somewhere between 6 to 11. It would require some ammo, but we know it's ammo the Celtics do have. And me personally, I think it's more than worth the gamble. Let us know what you think too. Maybe you feel there's a different area Boston could address if they do move up. I know there are a ton of Willie Cauley-Stein guys who listen to the show. I know so from all the time. I have been tweeted at CLNS underscore LHR over these last two weeks or so. So once again, feel free to put your stamp on it by answering the question at R-E-A-C-H-T-A-P-P.com slash CLNS. Trade up for an athletic wing. Trade up for Willie Cauley-Stein, Stan Pat, or maybe even rat at the picks for a veteran. And said veteran doesn't have to be a DeMarcus Cousins or DeMarcus Cousins-like player, and of course, we like that. It could be just a solid veteran, a good voice you know, for younger players who can make an impact now, maybe like a 2006 version of St. Battier or something. I just sort of randomly brought that up. Or maybe you take the best player available, or best player availables, and save that for some sign-and-trade ammunition. A lot of options for Danny Ainge, Mike Zarin, and the rest of the Boston Celtics management team. See what they have in store. Around the NBA in five is in store for you in a few seconds after we pause for a brief word. Hi, this is Jeff Kane, host of Patriots Beat Podcast, the number one podcast on the web covering your Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Like all of Sealance Radio's great podcasts, it is available for download on SealanceRadio.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Thank you for your continued listenership of Sealance Radio's programming. To find out how you can continue to support CLNS, Log on to www.patreon.com slash clnsradio. That's patreon.com slash clnsradio. And now back to Celtics Beat. Well, it's time for Around the NBA in 5. Around the NBA in 5 today is presented by Audible, leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. And to grab your first audiobook for free, log on to www.audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Here we go. Well, not really here we go. We are now in an awful moratorium period of the NBA Finals between the Conference Finals, which is set to begin this Thursday, the 4th, June 4th, over on ABC here in the States at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Tip-off probably won't be around until around 9.17. Had this discussion with Bob Ryan about the playoffs being stretched out and how it's all for television and whatnot, but this to me is absurd. There really is no flexibility for this. I know the NBA does not want a game on a Friday or a Saturday night, two horrific nights for primetime television, but this is ridiculous. Does it really need to be set in stone like this? There truly is no flexibility. They couldn't play game one tonight here on Sunday evening. Heck, not even this coming Tuesday, which would then allow the seventh game to fall on a Sunday evening two weeks from now. Had they done that, a full week off is insanity. It's nuts. I know Cleveland is happy about it as they can get some of their banged up players, such as Kyrie Irving, healthy. That's a big one. Even Golden State, this gives plenty of time for Klay Thompson to clear some cobwebs. But someone tell me how a full week off is a good thing. The casual NBA fan, the casual sports fan will forget about the NBA so fast it's out of this world. Sure, they'll be able to get things cooking again if this series ends up being good. But I guarantee you that will take a little time. Guarantee you. So this 
all stretched out for ratings alone, it's hurting them here. No question. It will hurt them, particularly with the early games. From an entertainment standpoint, the conference finals were a disaster, an outright disaster. Many people believe they'd be massacres. They were massacres, two uncompetitive series that we all expected to see, which played out to a T. You'd like to think to get that heinous memory out of everyone's minds, they'd get this very intriguing and very interesting series rolling as soon as they possibly could. Why is this? Is it to give the TV networks a set schedule? They really seriously cannot adjust for that? ABC is airing something all important other nights and primetime instead? And we haven't even gotten into how this could affect the play. Sure, some will say it's better these two teams get rest, get some bodies healthy, but I doubt that. Generally, teams which take such a giant exhale in sports, they get out of their rhythm. It wouldn't shock me whatsoever to see a very sloppy game one due to rush from both teams. So all in all, a lose-lose for the fans. Now on to the series. Well, before the season, I had the Cavaliers over the Clippers in the finals in our preview on CLNSRadio.com with the rest of the Celtics beat writing staff. Around December, I gutlessly switched my pick to the Warriors winning the championship. I was actually sold on them fairly early. I was an early believer, if I want to pat myself on the back, which I guess I'm doing right now. But there were a lot of people with doubts with Golden State, largely because they hadn't been in this position before. They hadn't proven it to people. I don't know why. You know, they'd never been in the conference finals, let alone the NBA finals. I think since 1979, I believe, they were in the finals back in 75, last conference finals, 79. But they reminded me of the 08 Celtics, not in their style of play, but how it took a lot of folks quite some time to believe in them, despite them decimating teams throughout the season. And here they are, finally getting the recognition they deserve. It took some really good pieces over on 538.com on ESPN. It's great to have some people who finally pointed out their absurd point differential. People just were not accommodating for that. Just because the fact that Golden State hadn't done it in May and June, it's like, oh, they can't do it this May and June. I think that's silly. They may have the best home court advantage ever, even more so than those 80s Celtics. That crowd has to be the best crowd in NBA history. Their camaraderie, the way the players feed off them, the adrenaline boosts, those fans give the players. It's like an international soccer crowd. I know the Cavs have the best player, but that was the case in the 08 Finals, if we want to use that comparison, with Kobe being the so-called best player. Where did that get the Lakers? The Warriors have everything else, including the all-important home court, in which I believe the Cavs have zero shot to win in Oakland. Zero. Warriors in six. They'll take care of business at home, get the one they need in Cleveland, and then bury them to close them out in game six. Whenever that is, what, a month from now. But yes, Golden State, your 2015 NBA champions. And speaking of NBA champions, if you'd like to meet one, a two-time world champion as a member of the Boston Celtics, well then, come on Saturday, June 20th at Tony C's Sports Bar and Restaurant on 3rd Avenue in Burlington, Massachusetts. You can celebrate JoJo White's Hall of Fame induction. To reserve your spot in attendance, contact Mark Bodanza at 978-840-0500, and you will receive a signed autographed copy of JoJo's biography, that's Saturday, June 20th at Tony C's in Burlington, and you can reserve yourself at 978-840-0500. And that is going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Leonard Allstring, Ostravex, and Seth Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on Facebook at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat to keep up with the show. 
Also check us out on Google Plus at Celtics Beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guest, Jeff Goodman of ESPN. Great to catch up with him once again. We, of course, would love to thank our sponsors, Linda, Audible, DraftKings, Casper, and Dr. Rons for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat. I'm Larry A. Trussell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.